and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. We are coming to you after a brilliant performance and devastating defeat in the Champions League final. Um, to discuss that briefly, because let's be honest, who really wants to relive it? Um, and look to maybe some more unsavoury matters around the game. Take a look into next season, what we expect to see, and just talk about how absolutely belter this team is. I've got Jay Reid in Liverpool. I've got Andy Bell, who's still out in Liverpool. And I've got John Henderson in Belfast. Johnny, you and I went out, um, and we were confident, because we're always confident, because we're kind of half-glass-full kind of guys. And... um, First half, we're, we're good. We don't create loads, but we have chances and Courtois makes a few good saves. And half-time, I'm saying to you, do you know what? We're absolutely belter. They have the goal disallowed at the end of the first half. But aside from that, they cause us no problems at all. And we're dominating this team. Like, we are dominating them. And at half-time, we're feeling really, really good about ourselves. And then... I don't really know what happens. We kind of don't. We're good, but we're not great. It looks like maybe the the injury of of Thiago is catching up on him. Um, and then they get the goal in sixty, and uh, it it just never really looked like we were going to find a way through, did it? No, it didn't. Um, I mean, I I would. I would say I was confident, but I wouldn't. Like, there was a lot of people that were really, really bullish before the game. I think I'd said that on Twitter. Like, I, I don't think you can ever be bullish or overly confident when it's Real Madrid because their record in European finals is just extraordinary. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, it went. I mean, the first half, we were so confident that we started really well, moved it about really well. We, we were totally in control. We you know, the game was being played on our terms. Um, but in a funny way as well, I think they, you know, they knew they weren't going to, they knew they weren't going to out-attack us. Ancelotti is a, is a smart manager. You, you don't win many European Cups as he's done. Um, so they had a plan. thought we were really good in the first half. But I think quite a few of us had agreed, you know, before the game. Even Dave, if you think what we were all talking about when we were having the food earlier in the day, was you know the chances will come, but will we, you know, will we take them? Um, and really, they're not. I don't think you would say they're guilt edge chances, but the Mane chance is a is is a really good opening. Salah has a couple of ones, um, but they're, but they're half chances, and Courtois is brilliant. And then yeah, second half. Um, Funny enough, although the Benzema goal was disallowed, I think that rocked us a wee bit. There was such a weight. It seemed to put a wee bit of, uh, you know, it seemed to put a bit of caution in their play. And then I agree, I think, you know, Thiago, we hadn't trained. He he visibly wasn't having as big of an impact. Uh, it was very sort of, the game was about, I just felt from 45 to about the hour mark, you know, you know around the time they, they score. Game was just a bit flat, and they they sprung, had their moment. We were just caught a wee bit 
And um, yeah, and then, then we stirred ourselves and we had a good, you know, we had a reaction. We had a couple of efforts on goal. You know, Salah, the unbelievable save from Salah when we think, well, you know, we knew it wasn't happening. He had one from a tight angle. And, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. My overriding feeling at the end was, you know, it feels like a European Pain Cup was left behind us. Um, if you really want to simplify it, I just think it was a game too far. I think it was the 63rd game of the season. It looked like our 63rd game of the season. I think Real, bar the, the City semi-final, obviously have had their feet up a bit and their league games have been of little consequence, whereas we've just been basically playing midweek, you know, if it feels like forever, midweek, weekend, game after game with everything on the line. And just looked that way. I just felt up front. You know, a lot of things worked about our game plan, but up front we just didn't have that spark, looked that bit tired and, yeah, we just didn't have enough. We just didn't have enough. And Courtois did his job. And that's how it goes in European finals. You know, you need that bit of inspiration at times. It wasn't there. And a um, bit of a tough one to take. But, yeah, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, Andy, you were, I presume you were out in Liverpool watching it. And I don't know, what, what were your thoughts at halftime? Did, did you feel like... We needed to do more. Were you confident? Um, I was confident, but but cautiously confident, I guess. And there were issues. I think, you know, Diaz didn't really have an impact on the game. Um, I was maybe looking at, I think I spoke in the last pod, and I, I, or maybe it was with Johnny before the game, I could have gone with maybe Jota making those inside runs at the left-hand side and, and keep Diaz for... for Carvajal's tiring legs. Do you think that you would would you have done something differently, or or did you look at the first half and think, you know what, we've got this. I know we've been unlucky, but we've we've been here before, and it will come, and this team will find a way. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought I thought we played really well in the first half, and I thought we would go on to win the game. I thought we played really well in that game, and you can't allow one chance for them compared to what is ultimately potluck and an inspired goalkeeping display affect how you talk about that performance from Liverpool. It's a good Liverpool performance in a European Cup final. On another day, I think as you were saying in the pre-pod there, as we were talking earlier on, the ball either hits a post and goes in, or it hits a post and it comes back off Courtois and goes in, or it hits a post and it comes back to a Liverpool player. And the only option of the four, as I think you were saying, was uh, was what happened, which is it hit the post and it fell to a Real Madrid player. We created other chances. Henderson, I thought, was having a fantastic game in the first half, using that width that he's provided us this season that allows Trent and Salah to get back into those central positions where they can affect the game more. I thought Thiago was playing well. And people were saying Diaz was ineffective, and, and maybe he was in, in terms of like the end product and the actually getting positions point of view, but there was one moment in the first half, I think it's where Allison sprays a ball out to him from his hands, and... He's no option. He's no Liverpool player anywhere near him. He's four Real Madrid players around him. He can't try and leg them in behind because they're onto that. He can't cut back inside because they're onto that. And he ends up sort of swiveling round and taking this touch into the air and winning a foul. And I thought, like, that's just absolutely magic. And that magic was why I wouldn't have taken him off because even though he wasn't getting in positions to have shots and create chances, he still had that about him. And... I did. I agree with you. I wanted to see Jota, but I actually wanted him to bring all four of them on. And I know that's a little bit break glass to do at 60 minutes and the way we were playing and the chances we're creating. Maybe Jurgen Klopp didn't quite want to do that. 
but that's that's ultimately how I felt about it. And then you know the subs, Kier does Kier doesn't have a great game. I really don't think he does. And when Firmino comes his on, shot, that shot kind of sums up his performance. Oh, we don't, we don't talk about the shot. Yeah, yeah it's one of the all-time yeah. great. Um, it's 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 a notorious. It's like Lovren in the the FA Cup semi, isn't it? In terms of how that will be talked about for years to come. But when we bring Firmino on, then it kind of goes from kind of just being a little bit too keen to throw crosses in the box from wide areas to actually getting in the half spaces. And from an end product point of view, the, the cutbacks aren't very good from Firmino, but we actually created, I guess, higher XG chances, as as people would say, when he came on. So could we have done that a bit earlier? Possibly. But at the same time, was a screaming for Firmino 155? No, it wasn't. So it's all hindsight. And I think seven or eight times out of ten, Maybe that's even being generous to Real Madrid. If that game plays out in the way it does, we win it. Yeah, I, and that that brings me nicely on to my next point. Yeah, yeah, you know this could be seen as potentially the 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 biggest smash and grab European Cup final victory ever. Um, they've no right to win that game of football. They've an inspired goalkeeper performance. Um, our goalkeeper does not make a save. We dominate them. We create loads of chances. We hit the post. Um, go on. We can go on about it. Go on about it. And what what has been talked about is this this Madrid team and that run. And it's all about 2005 for us. That run that gets them there and they 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 nick it in the end. And the the mentality and the the, the history and the as in Jose Mourinho's most eloquent in terms, the football heritage, but DNA. I know, oh, I know, yeah, well, that's, yeah, I know, do you know, do you know? The, the names on the trophy game. All that, yeah, all that shit, all that shit, and it, it did kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy, but if that's anybody else other than Real Madrid and that game plays out the way it does, it's, people would be talking about it as daylight robbery. Well, the whole thing just felt corrupt. I mean, we'll get into the other stuff in a minute, but like, I don't know what you guys think, but I just thought the referee on the night was absolutely shocking. If he wanted to tongue up Benzema's ass anymore, he couldn't have tried. Like, everything just seemed to go for Madrid, and nothing seemed to go for us. Like, decision-wise, that could have just been biased because I was in the stadium, and you know, you sort of under the rose tinted glasses as, as it is, but. I think that their run to the final, you just thought it's got to end at some point and we are the best team in Europe, no doubt. And it should have ended that night. And, you know, Andy's touched on it. Like, Alisson had nothing to do. Courtois made nine saves, five from Salah. Like, these sorts of things just don't normally happen. Like, we normally do score. But this is our third final in a row now where we've not scored. The last man to score, we've just let go on a free transfer to AC Milan. Like I felt like the game <laughs> had he been available, had Dave Okarigi written all over it, but it didn't because he wasn't available. Um but it I had a sense of an inevitability about it, like what when we talked about the broad pod when when Salah takes that touchdown, hits the volley and Courtois gets a tip and puts it around the post. I think everybody near to us in the ground was like, This isn't happening now, like just give up, like and the main focus then was basically shifted to the off-field stuff again. Of like, we just got to get out of here in one piece. Like, 
as much as we all wanted to stay and applaud the lads and cheer them off the pitch, like other masses led to the fact that everyone's attention was elsewhere. And I think that also affected the atmosphere in the ground. Like we we obviously all knew the scenes outside and the first 15, 20, 25 minutes, the crowd were well up for it. But, you know, like the money shot tipped onto the post, the Salah saves, like the Benzema goal that was or wasn't offside, but got ruled out in the end after the lengthy check. Really. I think that all just eventually deflated the crowd in the ground. And we all know Liverpool feed off the crowd. Like it's it's no denial. Like we, we make it as, you know, chaotic and as hostile as we can in terms of fan atmosphere and the boys feed off that on the pitch. And there was personal matters that players had been affected on off the field stuff. So I think it all just manifested into an absolute disaster of an evening, really. And, you know, the things can be forgotten. Like, you know, it'll go down the history books, Real Madrid 1 0 and daylight robbery and stuff like that. But I think from a Liverpool point of view now, we'll we'll take the off season to dust ourselves down and pick ourselves up and we'll go again next year. It's, it sounds very cliche, but we've just got to do that. Yeah, and just to stick with you, Jay, obviously you were there. Um, and there's been a lot of different different fan accounts. I think you were, although you had a terrible experience, you could probably count yourself as one of the lucky ones, the way it played oh, out. Right. 100%, um, yeah. Yeah, just, just interested to, to tell the listeners, you know, what what you what your experience was from start to finish. You know, obviously, from even from the nightmare of trying to get the coach over. Well, well... You know, it's 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 not it's not hidden. The fact that there was an absolute shambles of a coach company who would arrange coaches, and you know, even to the fact that when we actually eventually got on a coach, it wasn't our one. It was a free for all. We were told like a few days before you must be a you'd pick up points, which was the Rocky um, in Liverpool. Like the second pick up points on on the journey of four or five, um, you must be on this coach. You must make sure. You're in your seat number, your driver will be registering you, giving you your seat numbers and all that. Like, it all sounded very organised. We got to the rocket for half three, quarter four, five o'clock comes, no coach, six o'clock comes, no coach. A coach turned up and to his credit, the driver had a list and he only let the people on the list on. So you thought, oh, you know, maybe our coaches are going to come. There was known traffic delays. Um, then we got word that coaches had turned up at the first collection point, which was in North Liverpool. But they were just letting anybody and anyone on. They were at that, that collection point because they were running so late. Um, so my actual coach number rolled past us, beeped the tone, everyone's waving, and you know you're angered that like that was literally our coach. So the next coach that turned up and had spaces available, it was a free for all. You just sadly had to force yourself onto a coach as much as you could. Um, but it was just a shambles, like. You know, we, we were told we'd be in Paris first thing Saturday morning. We got there four o'clock Saturday afternoon. We missed a whole day. Everyone had plans. There was kids on the coach, like tired. We didn't really have, we stopped at service stations, but, you know, no hot food available. Um, ferry delays. Like we got sent to Dunkirk instead of getting sent to Calais. Like it was all just a shambles. And then, you know, the organisation from the police, like, from the walk from the train station was 15 minutes but it was hostile there was a lot of locals running around like masked up like covered up in in head to toe in black and whatever and you know it's well documented it's all out there for people to see there's fan accounts like put them 
putting us in situations where we were bottlenecked into small spaces where you could only get four to five people wide through and you're trying to force 20, 30, 40,000 fans. Um, security checkpoints where they're asking to see your ticket. Meanwhile, at the actual ticket checkpoint, there's several locals pulling your arm, tapping your pockets on like you're trying to remain as calm as you can because you know it was set up for any antagonization from the from the Liverpool fans was going to be retaliated by the heavy handed police. So we were policing ourselves in terms of you just gotta stay calm and you know look out for each other. But the stewardship of the people checking the tickets, they were incompetent, they didn't know what they were doing. They wouldn't move on these locals who were trying to pickpocket you. And then heavy-handed police getting into the ground. I was lucky enough to be in there five, ten minutes before they shut the gate and the tear gas started. And when we seen all that, we just decided it was the safest option to get to our seats. Um, and then we heard what was going on from from home. People were asking if you're safe. Like, you should never be going to a game in this day and age and getting texts of your parents and family members and brothers and sisters at home asking if you're okay and you're safe. Like, that shouldn't be happening anymore. But sadly, that was the situation we would put ourselves in um, because of the authorities, because of the lack of organisation, because of the incompetence. And if Paris weren't ready to host this event, they should never have took it. The fact that the pitch was laid 24 hours before shows how much of a shambles it was. Um, and then fast forward to the end of the game, they didn't open all the exit gates, so we were forced with shields and batons into bottlenecks to get out of the exit gates when everyone's just trying to flee the situation because well we thought we were going to get stormed by the riot police to come up and lined up against the Liverpool fans at the end of the game we thought what's going to happen here are they going to storm the crowd or what um, and then they, they put us into the situation where there was PSG ultras with knives broken bottles there was local pickpockets again operating in mass numbers because at this point of the day it was dark um, it was just a whole mess, really. And, you know, uh, people have said good things about Paris, but from every experience I had of it, I wouldn't want to go back there in the hurry. And what I felt more upset about was the fact that there was young kids there who had their biggest day of their lives ruined. There was all the people there who were travelling with us on the coach who had all memories of Hillsborough flooding back. And the only benefit that we had was we've been through this we're educated enough because of Hillsborough that would remain calm and other fan bases would have retaliated and there would have been fatalities no doubt we were we were lucky to get out of there with maybe a few cuts bruises people lost possessions and whatever but I think the main thing was everybody who went that I know of seemed to get home in one piece one way or another and that's the only bit of solace we can take that you know and we won't be heard. We uh, sorry, we won't be silenced on this. We will be heard because there's so much evidence out there. Everyone's got video phones and cameras these days, and everybody's accounts being backed up by the club, by sports media in the UK, by journalists, and so on and so forth. So hopefully, hopefully that we do see something come out of this because that shouldn't be happening in this day and age anymore. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, and you know the coverage you know, media-wide has been, well, everything that you've said is what happened, um, which, again, it's scant consolation, but I think we've been down, as you said, the Liverpool fans have been down this road before, and there's a sense of anxiety there that 
that you will be made to look like the bad guy in these situations. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that the right people do the right things and people are held to account. Moving swiftly on then, um, Johnny, it's obviously it's disappointing. Um, it wasn't quite for me 2007 disappointing when we talked about what happened to me after that game, which we'll not discuss on here. Um, but I had a lot of cleaning up to do the next day, let's put it like that. But for me, there is talk of, you know, people suggest this is ended up a poor season for Liverpool. It's been a disappointment. It's been an anticlimax. But, you know, you can't boil these things down to one game. And I'm just interested in what your kind of opinion of the legacy, what this team delivered this season will be, based on what we won, what we didn't win, but how we performed overall. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, first of all, you've got to be factual about the performance this season. And there's there's absolutely no doubt that performance-wise, this is one of, if not the best season in Liverpool's history for performance. Um, no team has took a, a quadruple to the last two games. We were literally hipped at the post. We were Aston Villa not conceding three goals and 15 minutes away. Uh, it wasn't just we were one point away. We were literally, if Villa don't concede three goals in the last 15 minutes, we, we were that close. Um, it, it, it does feel a bit like the gods conspired against us at the death. Having felt like things were going our way, you know, we don't score in the the, the cup finals. I think we'll, we'll come to that. You know, we, we're in three of them. We, we end up winning two of them. Um, and certainly after the FA Cup, you know, I think we're all starting to feel, wow, something could happen here. That's another penalty shootout. We've got another trophy. Um, but 92 points, taking it to the Champions League final, being the better team in the Champions League final, winning the two domestic cups. It's an exceptional season. It's a season that, you know, every club in England, bar Manchester City, <laughs> would, would absolutely kill for. I think the, the I think the legacy of this season will be a lasting legacy because I, I don't think anyone gets that close to a quadruple. We might not ever see that again. I mean, Pep City are probably, you know, they maybe they they won a domestic travel and were short of Champions League. They might, you know, in the next few years, if they keep building, they might. But I think that's a legacy of, you know, we'll all remember and the stories of of getting it to that close to to a quadruple. Um, I think it's, listen, realistically, we've got to be honest as well and say that if the Saturday before the season finale, someone had said, you know, you're just going to finish this with the FA Cup and the League Cup at that point. Um if you think of the day before the, the league finale, you would have been gutted about that, you know, because I was very much of the mind that we are going to win one of these two. I didn't think we'd win the two of them. If I'm honest, I thought the league was always a wee bit of a, a stretch. So, of course, there's there's disappointment there. Um, but for me, when, you know, we can talk as much as we want about the legacy and what people think of it. I think a city of Liverpool give their response to how good this team have been this season. 
in that parade because those scenes were incredible. I mean, I, I just genuinely think if we had won the quadruple, would, would there have been better scenes? I mean, the crowds, the atmosphere, and that makes me really hopeful for next season. I, I, I personally, because I was, you know, you feel sorry for yourself, but I was gutted for them players too because they've run themselves under the ground all season. And, um, you know, they've absolutely, they, they, they've given absolutely everything all season long. And it would have been really cruel if, because of what happened in game 62 and game 63, they felt a bit flat after the parade. But I think they came out of that parade realizing that they're adored, that the supporters have so much love for them, so much trust in them. And I think that will be important next season. I think those players will come back fired up, fresh, ready to go for it. And I, and I, and I think people don't maybe realize the importance of that. You know, the fans are with them. We know that the Liverpool fans are, are behind them anyway, but I think that tells you it, it's been a great season. It's been a bit of a roller coaster at the end, but it's a season you'll remember. I certainly remember this season for uh, as as a time when I thought the unthinkable was going to happen right up to the last two games. We've got a brilliant team, and unlike other times where there's false dawns there, Gareth Roberts and Anfield Rap had a great point about, you know, we've been a boom and bust club. We're not a boom and bust club anymore. We're brilliantly run, and we've taken some digs on the chin this last week in more ways than one off the pitch and on. Um, but we know this team will bounce back and this manager will bounce back. So I, I'm really optimistic about next season. Jay said, we'll dust ourselves off and we'll go again. Yeah, Andy, I think that's fair. Um, and we talked earlier on in the day about how you felt after the defeat in Saturday and you weren't devastated because, as Johnny says, it's not boom and bust anymore. Um, you know there's more to come from this team. The concern that I shared with Johnny at the time was, and given the money kind of speculation, some of the aging players in the squad, um, I kind of feel that this may be, this may have been, the six months may have been the strongest that this side may ever be, the strongest this football club may ever be player for player. So how are you feeling going into the next season? Do you feel that if, if, if Mane does depart can we do we change do we bring something similar um do we reinvent ourselves um yeah that's lots of questions just try and remember some of them and see what you've got yeah i think the words i used i was on the the Anfield Rats post the Anfield Rats post match pint after it and i thought oh happy days i'm doing doing a big show this will be good and then trying to find words five minutes after you've lost the European Cup final, which is probably the most devastating blow you can have as a football fan, <laughs> ended up being quite difficult. But one thing I did say, and I said it immediately after the game to the people who was watching it with, was that it felt like it hurt the least out of all the disappointments we've had under Jurgen Klopp. You know, it it, it didn't feel anything like Kiev. I had, you know, Kiev like... It was just magical right the way through. We were not in the top two sides in Europe that year. We were not in the top two sides in England that year. And it felt as though there was a long way to go to get back up to that level. Obviously, we get up to that level very quickly in the ensuing years, but it wasn't one of those where you had the ultimate confidence that I have now. 
the Wild Jurgen Klopp's at Liverpool and why the people here in charge at Liverpool and making the decisions at Liverpool are in charge. I have so much faith we'll be, we'll be fighting for Premier Leagues and European Cups for the next four years at the very least. And that's the confidence that comes with basically everything they've done in the last four, five, six, seven years being absolutely spot on. We have a transfer success rate of around 80-90%. I'd say the average transfer success rate is around the 40%, 50% mark. Certainly it was a lot lower in uh, my time supporting Liverpool previous to that. You were lucky if one in five turned into a good player and a player you could use in the first team squad very regularly. Whereas now, you know, I think the analogy I used was when Suarez left, it felt like a crushing blue because you had no faith that we could replace somebody, that we could replace him with somebody of that calibre. With Mane, and even if Salah goes and if Firmino goes or if, if someone else goes, I'll be gutted because I'm attached to these players and I've lived through the emotions of these players for the last four years. And these players are the ones who have taken us from, you know, mediocrity, fighting for top four, getting in every now and again to literally, if not the best club in the world, um, the second best club uh, in the world. You know, they've taken us to that and I have attachment to them, but... I have ultimate faith that they'll be replaceable, that the club will find the right name, the right person, the right personality to come into the squad and the right player that will fit into the squad, like they've done with Diaz, like they've done with Jada, who, albeit it's been a bit patchy recently, but still, let's not forget his contribution to this season for two months. It was, he was our best player. And when he was out for the League Cup final, we were absolutely gutted and we were desperate for him to be in the bench. So there's so many little things like that. And, um, yeah, I, I just think we'll be fine. And it's a one-off game. And finishing one point off Man City in the Premier League is a, is a, you know, that can be a refereeing decision. That can be a moment of magic. That can be a mistake. That can be anything like that. Just a bit of luck. And there's every chance that we get to four more European Cup finals and lose them all. Like that is possible. You, you can lose these games. 90 minutes isn't a big enough sample size for simply being the better team. Didn't necessarily be enough or be guaranteed to be enough but we'll absolutely be fighting for these two competitions for years to come. We'll be in the mix. We're not going anywhere. And um, that's ultimately what softened the blow a little bit for me over this weekend. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, yeah, I, I can totally get on board with that. Jay, the, the money thing is going to rumble on, I think, um, certainly for the next few days, if not for the next few weeks. And I kind of feel like we knew this. We knew that they weren't going to offer him a new contract. They knew that he was going to be 31 at the end of his deal. And are you going to tie him down to bigger wages at, until 34, 35? Probably not. It's not FSG's thing. It just really isn't. Um, so it kind of come to terms with that. And the other thing is, I know Fernando Torres broke my heart. Like, absolutely broke my heart. And see, once your heart's broken by a footballer, it can never happen again. So I'm kind of fine with this, but I just wonder where you are. Do you feel like this is now the right time to, to take the kind of Wijnaldum approach to tell these guys, thanks very much. You can go now and we'll get a few quid for you. Well, you might not get paid as much or you yeah. can stick around for a year and we do our due diligence in the background and, and do what Johnny says, which is, and what Andy said, which is trust this transfer process. system and this process to get the next sell and the next money. Um, well, I still don't agree that we should let Wijnaldum go, but that's by the by. Um, 
go over that as much as you want. But I think, you know, we all knew coming into the end of this season or this summer, whatever, that, you know, the front three or the, the traditional front three as it once was, um, we're all out of contract next summer. And the reality was not all three of them were going to get a deal. Um, out of the three of them that you want done, I think it's a pretty obvious that everyone probably wants Mo Salah to be done for, for his contribution. That's not to knock what Mane's done for us in the past, what, five years or something like that. Uh, six years, I think it is now he's been with us. Um, but up until before the AFCON, I think we were all quite happy to sell him. I think the AFCON rejuvenated him. I think the sign of Diaz rejuvenated him. The fact that he moved inside and played a more central role. And on the same side, I think it took a lot out of Mo Salah. I think as for those people who do the stats, his underlying numbers are pretty much the same. But we can all just see it. Like Just look at the guy. He, he looks physically done in. Where Mane looks chipper. He looks so happy not that he ever doesn't look happy to even look happy or angry but he just looked like a new lease of life it came and you know there was probably second thoughts I think would, would you sell this guy or not but as you say we're with FSG we're with a business run club and we've we've run business very well we're not like you know the oil states of city and you know Newcastle as it is now and what Chelsea were but we do things a certain way and it's worked for us. It's proven success. We've got trophies. We've got to finals. Um, so it's hardly a surprise. I think what is a surprise is the sort of fees that have been talked about. To me, it seems a bit like daylight robbery if it's 25 million rising to potentially 32, 33. I feel like that's a bit of, you know, a low fee unless there's something happening in the background. I don't know, but... Um, I trust the process, as, as you've all said. Like we, we will go out there. We will probably go and get someone in the Luis Diaz mold. You know, the 22 to 25 years of age, the the fellow who's probably not on the lips of everyone. Um, we will go and get value for money. We we've shown that. Like you only got to look again at Luis Diaz. Like if you put him on the market now, you'd be talking 70 million. Where we snapped him up for what 45, I think it was, all in with potential bonuses. So. You know, with it, should say you, you get connected to these lads, but I think for me, once I once Robbie Fowler left, like as a child, you're like, how can your hero leave the club? And then when you say when when Torres and Suarez move on, you're like, you hate, but I don't think anyone will hate as much as your first hero. But it's football. You 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 move on. You will get another hero. Like six months down the line, if we bring a fella in. And he's banging goals into fun. Sadio Mane will be an afterthought for everyone. And we can't knock his contribution. But yeah, we, we'll be fine. We, we've done it before. We know what we're doing. So I'm, I'm fully faith. I'm fully confident that we'll we'll find someone better at, at this yeah. point in time. But that'll be in the long run. That is like, we, we get someone for five years now because Sadio Mane, as good as he is, has not got five years of top level in his, in his locker, I don't think. Yeah, and and that's that's exactly my thoughts. And Johnny, just to kind of go on from there, it kind of feels naturally like it's time for a, like a like a squad overhaul, nearly. And I know that sounds really ridiculous given what we've just achieved, but it's kind of this is the transition season. This is the season where we've got guys who are 
going to start to move towards the last year or going to be in the last year. And this is the opportunity now to get what you can out of that existing squad, squeeze the last ounce of quality out of them while bringing players in, adapting them. So there's a more seamless transition in kind of this time, 12 months. I don't know what you think about that. That's kind of where I am on it. And I don't know, could you see, like, I think based on that alone, who do you see moving on? Because I can kind of feel like we might have, we might have maybe at least three or four squad players moving on in the summer. Yeah. I mean, as an overall, I'm not quite sure I'm in the space where I'm thinking that this is a massive transition now for this team. I still think the age profile of that goalkeeper and back four, I mean, Van Dyke's 30. Um, he's He's got, the way he plays, he's got four years, three, four years of more, maybe when you look at Thiago Silva left, you know, Fabinho, you know, Thiago, yeah, you know, they're coming that prime age of that sort of 30, you know. Um, I think when you talk about the front, you know, if I, I look at the team, yeah, the front three is obviously the one because I think as well from an intensity, um, I always come back to the, was it the Bob Paisley quote about, you know, when players lose their legs, this is make sure they lose their legs on someone else's watch, you know, and that's one thing for that forward line. There's a lot of miles on their legs, and they, they and they've they've all been superb. I mean, Firmino, Mane, Salah. I mean, they're legendary. They'll they'll go down, and you know we'll always remember that front three. They were the front three that brought the brought the title. Front three that were entangled at winning the the European Cup again, um, and all the success. So, I think there's a bit of tweaking, like any team. Uh, I'm more in the, I don't see it as a massive overall transition. Don't get me wrong, Mane is probably the most transformational. Um, you could argue Van Dyke and Allison, of course, you could in Fabinho. But for me, when I look at that, the level of the team being elevated, Mane to me was a real transformational signing under Klopp. He came in and from the get go at that game at Arsenal, all of a sudden we had just this amazing threat and pace and power up front. and um, I think there's a bit of fine-tuning needed now. I mean, what I would say is quietly, they've already been putting the groundwork in. You look at Diaz, you look at Jota, you know, they're they're vying for their place on that front three in August. Um, if Sadio goes and Echo with Jay says, you know, footballers come and go, he's one of my favourite ever, I must say. He's one of my favourite players since John Barnes. I just love everything about him. Just love the way he plays, his attitude, his work rate. Big games and his big, big goals and big games. I always, you know, the game I always think about Sadio Mane in is the the Barcelona game when um, Firmino and Salah were out in the four 0 and you know we had Shaq and we had uh, Divi playing in that, but he was just exceptional that night. He really stood up and was like, "I know I'm the main man. I'm going to carry the fight." So. I, I just echo with with the guy. He said I, I don't see it as being massive. I think you'll see tweaking. I think when you say three or four could go, I agree with that. Davies going. I think Oxide Chamberlain's going. I don't know if Minamino will hang around. Milner will probably try to get another year out of um, 
you know, and then you've got the obvious stuff going on with Manny and stuff. So, yeah, listen, there'll be a bit of movement and it'll come down to the forward planning and what we do. But I, I just trust them. I, I think you'll see. I, I, I'm still I'm not still I'm not convinced Manny's definitely going yet. I must say I'm not convinced. Um, and the fee's laughable. I mean, we were in the group chat there. There's not a way in hell we let that boy go for 25 million euro. Not a hope, unless there's something being done, as Jay says, with Byron in the background. So I see it as a bit of tweaking, a bit of transition, a bit of transition, but I don't see it yet as a, a massive overhaul. I don't think we do that anymore as a club. I think it'll be methodical and there'll be one or two tweaks and we'll just keep 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 ticking along and the team will continue to 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 evolve. But um, yeah, mindful of your point, Dave, you know, is this the big, had we got this group in their best six months and have we underachieved? And I'm not sure. Sometimes with football, you always think you've hit the peak, and then a couple of tweaks later, something else happens. So, yeah, that's that's my thoughts. A bit muddled, I suppose, my, my thoughts on it. But overall, that's, I, I don't say it's a massive overall. I just think there's a bit of tweaking today. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, the man I want, Johnny, I'm, like, I'm not convinced. It's I'm not convinced 30 million euros for a 30-year-old with one year left on his contract, is that absurd an idea? I don't know. I, I just think I just think the value that he has to the team, you know, I think, well, listen, there might be an element of we'll let him go in his terms because of what a great servant he's been. But, like, this is Liverpool and Julian Ward's been learning from Michael Edwards and I think if he's going for 25 million, there's some kind of deal being done with Bayern for someone. But there's something happening there. Um, I still think it's cheap the caliber of player he is. Dave, I think he's one of the best forwards in the in the league. And there's I no think, doubt. There's no doubt. Um, I don't know. It just feels to me like it's a bit shortchanged. But maybe I'm just maybe I'm being unrealistic. You know. Yeah, I just don't think I would want us paying that much money for a 30 year old with. A year left on their contract, and the Tiago thing is kind of similar. That sort of age profile, a year left. Listen, let's just take what we can get now. We'll reinvest for the future. But look, will we? Will we well, see? do you know what? I do think there's echoes of the Tiago thing as well. We, if Sadio does go to Bayern, and it sounds like Bayern, it seems very similar. I mean, Tiago went there with all their best wishes. He'd won everything there is to win, and he'd been superb for them. And he just fancied a new challenge. He just fancied it. And that's maybe just where Manny is. And listen, if it is, fair play to him. Sadio Manny owes us nothing. Absolutely nothing. If he wants something fresh, good luck to him. Uh, I'd hope he does well there. I just hope he doesn't score against us. <laughs> if we meet him in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> who who would want that? I don't even think Sadio Manny would want that. Andy, there's been a lot of chatter around centre-forwards. And we've we've been down this road so often before. Sign a proper number nine. Sign a number nine. Oh, and it, we might actually just be at the point where we may just sign like an actual number nine. Darwin Nunez has been mooted quite heavily in the press over the last few days. And Kunku as well, who is probably a bit more flexible than him. Um, not purely a centre forward has also been talked about, and I think there's some lad in South America somewhere. I don't even know if he's a striker, actually. But 
if Manny does go, do you see us doing something? Because there's been times like this before where we've lost a player. And I think the Wijnaldum one's kind of relevant here, where Wijnaldum goes last year and we don't really sign anybody to replace him. Not really. Um, do you think that's the situation here? Do we think Mane goes, <clears throat> Diaz is his natural replacement, or do we move to kind of change towards playing with an out-and-out goal scorer? I think we're spoilt at the minute in the sense that we're picking three from five every week, and we can very quickly forget that only two years ago we were picking three from three. It was only Salamane and Firmino, and that was the front three every week for any sort of important game no matter what and if one of those was out it was a disaster and certainly if one of those got injured for a month or longer it was an absolute disaster so the idea that it's completely out of the equation that we could just go with four next season I don't think is I don't think that is out of the equation at all I think it's possible I think it's possible that Diaz was a replacement he plays on that side um the question mark is is Firmino and Jota enough to go with through the middle next season. We know that Firmino's declined slightly. I think he's had a better second half of the season than what people are giving him credit for. I'm a big fan of Jota, but he's patchy, and his patches seem to come in three-month patches, which I don't I don't think qualify as patches anymore when they're that long. So that's a concern for me. Obviously, you can then go Salah down the middle. He's played there before. I wasn't particularly enamoured with Nunez when he, he played against us. I know that he scored a couple of goals, but I think Van Dijk wasn't playing that night, was he? Um, and stylistically, he doesn't seem like the type of player that's going to suit us. Don't know an awful lot about Nkunku. I think he is I think he's a long way to go, certainly as well. He's more the type of level of Manny than when he signed, rather than the level of Manny right now. Um, I've got to get pelters for this but one one that really interests me and I, I don't know if it's possible or not I really don't but is Harry Kane he's probably fits no no very, no <laughs> he probably fits into a very tiny <laughs> bracket of players who <laughs> could come in and be world class and wouldn't completely fuck up our wage structure he's on 200 grand a week at Tottenham he's two years left on his contract so you probably are going to have to pay Let's be honest, we're dealing with Daniel Levy. You're probably over 100 million for him. I just wonder how much Jurgen Klopp and FSG will shit the bed over City getting Haaland and whether that will force their hand to try and do something like that. At the end of the day, Harry Kane will have options. He will have suitors. He will have people who will pay him 350 grand, 400 grand a week if he wants it. But he's not going to go to City now. And if he doesn't go to Liverpool, that massively lessens his chances of ever winning a Premier League or a European Cup. And for a guy who's 28 years old, um, or 29 maybe even, I think this summer, that's going to play on his mind. And yes, he can go to Bayern Munich and he can win four Bundesligas. And he might even win a European Cup, who knows. Does that mean more to him than sort of staying in the Premier League? I don't know. I d- <laughs> There hasn't been any, even any murmurs of it, even from the clown journalists, so it's probably all nonsense. But I all I thought it last summer, and I thought there's a tiny chance just because we're never going to get Lewandowski because he's on 350 grand a week, and Mo Salah's paid 225 grand a week, and it's not necessarily the cash for these players. Like, uh, it's the idea that you're as good, if not better, than 
it's the prestige it? It's the guy sitting next to you in the office who's on eighty grand a year and you're on sixty grand a year. And the the difference in that money may not mean actually that much to your life, but it's the ego of well, why is he getting paid more than me? I've won your league in a European Cup and I've taken you you've, uh, in Manny's case from outside the top four to the best team in the world. And this guy walks in on 100 grand more a week. No chance. And players will think like that as much as we don't like to think they do. And we don't like to think our players do. They will. You can bring Kane in on and give him 250 grand a week. He's on the same as Virgil. He's on the same as Salah. And he probably is worth between five and ten points next season. But yeah, go on. Get the firing squad out. No, I'm kind of with that. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I think he is probably the most rounded centre forward in the world. Benzema, he has the Benzema about him, where he can drop, he can link, he can hold it, he can pop it off, he can spray a 30-yard crossfield pass, he can play a slide with a pass and split the fence, and he's dead good at sticking it in the fucking tent, which is basically the issue here, you know. So it's not out of the realms. Son's the other one that's been talked about, which again... Absolutely not adverse to in any way, shape, or form. So we'll see. It kind of doesn't fit our strategy, but as you say, maybe FSG shit the bed and thinks, you know what, we've signed a couple of young'uns instead of going like for three 30 million pound players. So let's just double up on something at the top end of the pitch and see. When you think about it, Dave, as well, like I know we, we had a chat there about what we could get for Mane and the 30 million. I think the club were looking a lot more than that. It's probably going to go for between 45 and 50. You think we're probably going to sell Chamberlain this summer. We might get 20 for him. You'll get still get a decent bit from Minamino. He's still at a young age. You're Phillips and Nico Williams, who could go for 15 million each. And I don't think I'm, I'm being too... Um, not with Bournemouth involved, absolutely not. What, what do you mean? So Bournemouth, Bournemouth pays £7 million for Brad Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, we could, uh, you, you know, you, I think Liverpool are looking £15 million, aren't they, for Phillips? So, um, I think he's been a key part of their promotion bid there as well. He's been a key player for them. And then you have Williams as well, who Fulham will be looking to make permanent. You could easily get £15 million each for those. Um, so that's you're looking at 120, 130 million potentially from sales this summer, and it's not beyond the realm's possibility that all of those players I mentioned go. That's not like stripping the squad bare. That's getting rid of players who are bit part players anyway. So, you know, would you swap that for a Harry Kane and a Chimeni esque midfielder, and you're probably your net spend only ends up being 50, 60 million? It probably is fantasy world, but. That's what the, the summer when there's no football for 10 weeks is all about, isn't it? No, you're absolutely right. And I think if you're stripping back five, six wages off the off the salary there, even at the smaller end of the scale, that's going to supplement the two big ones you're talking about. So it's not financially out of the question, there's no doubt. So listen, guys, just to wrap things up quickly, let's have quickly run the table. Three questions. Jay... Player of the season. Uh, Trent. I just think, like, you know, other players will get plaudits and stuff. 
Um, and I hope that someone picks the other player that I had in mind. But I just think each year on year he's developing and developing even more. And what he's always been knocked for is how oh, Trent can't defend. But in recent months, I think his defensive capabilities have really, really improved. His one-on-one defending, especially, um, is much improved. And you know, there's 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 still room for improvements again and again. There always is with any player. But I just think, you know, his defensive output this season is not to be under, like, underappreciated for what he's done. Um, and obviously, he's, he's contributed to the end of the field. I think he could do with maybe brushing up a little bit on the free kicks and maybe brushing up a little on, on the corners. But, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's plenty of players out there to choose from, but I'm just going to wait for them. That's fair. Johnny? If the season had ended at Christmas, it would have been Mo Salah by oh, a, easily, easily by, by a landslide, by a landslide. But my player of the season is Allison. Um, I just think for all the goals, Thanks, Johnny. For all the, <laughs> that was the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, for me, just best goalkeeper in the world. Um, just phenomenal. I mean, facilitates how we play so much. You know. Um, people say so often about oh Liverpool's high line and we know there's a lot of bullshit around that you know loads of times teams are offside match of the day show it anyway for fuck's sake but when teams have got behind us and I think he was integral listen the the, the cup the the cup especially you know if you think about the FA Cup um, big saves in both finals against Chelsea you know the ones from Pulisic um Big, massive moments and plenty of league games as well where, you know, at key moments when it was 0-0 or 1-0 where he's delivered. If you think about the massive save out in Villarreal, could easily have been a red card. It's pivotal to us reaching the, getting through that really tricky away leg in the final. So as I say, listen, Salah was just out of this world, out of this, he was sensational. He was the best player on earth. Um, but he dipped a lot after AFCON in terms of his goals and stuff. But Allison's been a, a constant, so yeah, it's it's Allison for me. Yeah, another worthy addition. Andy, anything different, or do you want to elaborate on the other two? I wanted to elaborate on Hendo's because mine's Allison as well, but he's. Pretty much taking every point I was going to make. He's he's covered it perfectly there. <laughs> I think. Um, sorry, sorry, Bellad. I, I thought you were going to go for Salah or someone. I was going to come in with a nice little Allison shout at the end, make it three three separate ones. But um, no, I j- just I think he's one on one. He's the best goalkeeper I've ever seen in my life. Um, he is just phenomenal the way. I think there was even one. Uh, is there? At, oh, no, it's I think it's the the bends of a disallowed goal, which you see it where initially he's one on one and he, he makes a fantastic save and he's just so good at standing up at the right time and staying stood up and luring the striker into trying to take it round him every time. And you mentioned the high line, Hendo, and you're completely right too. And he saved us so many times from that. And I think there's a couple of things that have played into the high line this season. There's first of all, there's VAR, so it takes a human error element away from it. So Liverpool know if they get that spot on and work on it day in, day out. It's not going to take some fat dickhead like John Moss. You can't keep up a play to to throw like weeks and, and months of hard work out the window. Um, there's that. Uh, there's there's the idea that we've now got immense pace at the back, especially with the addition of Kanate. But there's also a faith in Alison Becker that if it does get broken, 
you've still got to get past him. Um, and he's been crucial to us this season. And I think I had a look, and some people buy into the expected goals and some people don't, but the expected points tally for the season, it showed the different teams and what they they would have got if, if it was based off expected goals instead of real goals. And it always, over a 38-game season, more or less evens itself out. But Liverpool were five or six points above that. And yes, some of that was Salah's amazing finishing in the first half. Yes, some of that was the the, the, the strong defensive high line and the record this season. But I'd say a good bit of that was was Alison Becker. So yeah, him for me as well. Okay. Who's yours, Dave? It's probably the goalkeeper. It yeah, it probably is. It's a weird season where you've got Salah unbelievable first half. Mane, unbelievable second half. Jota, unbelievable first half. Diaz comes in second half. Thiago would probably be in there with a shout, to be honest. Well, let's, and Dave, let's be honest here too. It's because of the Barry set that Van Dijk and Matip were quietly sensational. Also. Yeah, Van Dijk could I easily would, be as well, yeah. I would probably have said Matip, but I think, I think Matip game for game is probably our best player of the season, if you want to put it that way. You know, minute for minute, I think Matip's phenomenal. Um, but he shared too much time with with Kanate to kind of be compared against the rest who played, you know, 55, 60 games. So, yeah. All right, Andy, so we'll start with you this time around since you went last um, for the player of the season, goal of the season. Is the third one moment of the season? Third one's moment of the season. Right, okay, that's fine. So I'll, I'll go for the actual best goal rather than just the one I enjoyed the most. I think, um, well, for me, it's the game of the season. And I, I'll, I can say that because we're not doing that as one, as, as one of our things. The most fun I've ever had at a football game in my life, whether it's watching the telly or being in the ground, and it was in the ground for this one, was Manchester City 2, Liverpool 3 in the FA Cup semi-final. That day was just a dream. For me, as someone who didn't get to that many games really before this year, because obviously I was living back in Northern Ireland, um, that was my second of three trips to Wembley this season. And honestly, it was a million times better than either final. It was better than beating United. It was better than beating Everton. To be 3-0 up against Manchester City at halftime, you know, when we all went into the game. And, and bear in mind, you know, it used to be, and I think it's a bit of a shame as Liverpool supporters now, because we... we and I'll, I'll go through this point quickly because I'm, I'm, I haven't even told you the goal yet, but it used to be when we were fighting for, for top four or whatever, every win felt amazing. Whereas because if we don't, if we drop points now, it feels like a disaster. You end up, wins just become par for the course and it, you end up getting to a point where the only game you're not absolutely expected to win is Man City. And obviously we'd been sure really in that 2-2 at the Etihad a couple of weeks before, should have probably lost that game. And you're thinking you're going into it thinking, no, oh, this is where the, the quadruple, which at that time was a massive long shot, was going to fall apart. And to be 3-0 up at half time was was just phenomenal. And 2-0, you're thinking we're in a great position here. We'll hold out. Uh, we're playing really well. We're pressing really well. And then you just see one of the best goals of all time. I think it's it's popped around. It's played through tight spaces. There's big switches of play. Thiago you know, the, the the old cliche could could find space in a phone box, pops it round, Robertson and Thiago fires it out to Mane. And you're thinking Mane's just gonna take a touch, he's in a good position here, and we're gonna find the next pass. And then from nowhere he just unleashes this absolute thunder bastard of a volley <laughs> to put us 
three nil up. And yes, I'm I'm probably taking it in the context of my story that day. I'm probably taking it in the context of that concourse at halftime. It was a perfect time for the goal. It was a perfect time for a party. And it's just the best day I've ever had, to be honest. So yeah, it's that one. Okay, so that's your moment of the season or goal of the season? Goal of the season. All right, Jay. Um, I'm going to go for one that I think was just aesthetically pleasing and it was Thiago's volley against Porto when it dropped to him at the edge of the box and he hit it that clean. I think it went through like two or three lads' legs and just yeah, paddled into the far corner. It's like mine on top of the ball. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. like the old traditional daisy cutter as they used to say, but it, yeah, just for aesthetically pleasing like you, there's so many good goals I think we've hit like 130 this year um, but yeah there's a pure technique point of view I'm just going to go for that Johnny with a couple of hipsters choices here as opposed to like the Axel right answer but what's yours mine is Salas against Mount Sunny thank fuck for that okay yeah yeah um, listen I, I agree with what Andy said about uh, Jay's a good shot as well. I mean, that fucking, we were in poet, weren't we, for that Tiago goal? I, I still watch it and wonder did it hit the ground this <laughs> I still don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and listen, the, the move for the man, I go at Wembley, oh, it was sensational, it really was. But yeah, but for me, it's, it's, I think it's pretty clearly the solid goal, but just because the, the game, the opposition, who it was, the team that eventually pipped us, um, probably a game more than any other I look back at now with with regrets <laughs> when the ball popped out to Fabinho uh, from four yards and Diaz came from nowhere but just the way he was electric I mean Salah was unplayable I think people sometimes forget the levels you think the goal he scored at Watford as well you could easily put that in um, around that spell he was just phenomenal but yeah he picks it up he's got nothing you know he, he, nothing on and he just he just goes for it the footwork the drop of his shoulder, he leaves three or four silly players. He leaves Diaz and the port lying on their ass. Um, and then just with his right foot from a tight angle, just absolutely. I mean, unerring is the word for that shot, right in off the post. So I think given the nature of the opponent, the skill, the technique, the execution, for me, that's the best goal I've seen a Liverpool player score in a long time. Um yeah, it's it's that one for me. Um, everything you'd want against the best, arguably the the best team in the world, um, and and he delivered. Uh, yeah, it's that one. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I agree. Uh, are you the same? <laughs> I I do agree. I think there's a shout for for Salah's first against United. It's it's gorgeous, and I think it's detracted. From because they are so fucking shit, right? Oh yeah, my, yeah, Mammy's re- Mammy's reverse pass. Yeah, yeah. that was that was even the one that's fired in the mat up. Real, the ball's fired in from Diaz. I think the mat up really fast, and he manages to manipulate his foot when it's right underneath him to kind of punch it into Manny, and he plays that little pass. And Salah's first touch and just rolls it in the corner. It's absolutely amazing, but but like they're not very good at all. So. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's a difficult one. Um, 
Johnny, last one then. What's your moment of the season? Your turn to go first. Oh, God. I thought you were going to ask game of the season. Um, and I've thought about game of the season. Do game of the season then. I'm all right with that. No, I'm all right with moment of the season. No, too. do game. I want to know your game now. <laughs> of course you fucking do, don't you? Um, well, just for me, because of growing up in the 90s and being like 43 years of age and putting up with fucking Ferguson and United, I have to say the 5-0 won at Old Trafford. I know it sounds a wee bit small time because they are absolute pish, but uh, I was down in Dublin for that, and I don't think I've ever enjoyed myself as much. Um, uh, you know, just absolutely after, you know, a couple of years of going there and knowing you're the better team. I know we beat them 4-2 there last season, but there was no crowd out, so it wasn't the same. And they're just so pish. They're just so terrible. And so many times we've said, just go there and put them in their place. And we just went there and put them in their place. And that was delightful. Um, and just the hordes of them walking out at half time, you know, it was just, that was lovely. Uh, that, that was that was my game of the season. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. Andy, you can go game or moment, even though your last answer sounded like your moment. <laughs> no, the last the last answer sounded like my game, but it was actually goal, wasn't it? Which yeah. just seemed so <laughs> tertiary to everything I said. Uh, I'll give you my moment of the season, and it's it's probably a hipster shout. It's probably not the moment of the season or my moment of the season, but something that really stood out completely unexpectedly. I'd, I'd come home. I was uh, luckily enough to I was lucky enough to get to do an away this season. Went down to Spurs and had a class day. Um, and four, f- four days later, we had a, a game against Leicester in the League Cup. And I was supposed to fly home the night before, but the flight got cancelled or moved or whatever and had to fly home two days before Christmas. Um, so I, I picked up a ticket last minute for the Leicester game, not expecting anything. The team news comes out and we're playing Connor Bradley, Billy Comedio and uh, Tyler Morton. And Leicester have gone full strength. It's Vardy and Daka. Madison and they're murdering us with vertical balls in behind. They're three one up at half time. Vardy has a chance, excuse me, to make it four one. And I remember just saying to me at half time, like, I almost want to go home here because this could end seven or eight one quite easily. And we make three changes and we get ourselves back into the game. But a three one will never forget how sort of viciously and arrogantly and mockingly the Leicester fans shouted feed the Scousers at us. It was the whole end. It was not a minority. Obviously, you have the whole end for a cup game, don't you? They were the exact same when they came to Anfield later on in the season. Apparently, they were the exact same that at, at Christmas. Obviously, Dave, we, we watched that game with no commentary in the pub, but everyone was saying it was it was the exact same. They were just most horrible, horrible people I've ever seen come to Anfield. And to do that three days before Christmas, you know, in a cost-of-living crisis, in a... When people still suffering from COVID, people still struggling to put food on the table for their kids or get presents for their kids. It was just absolutely horrible and to do it. So arrogantly 3-1 up against a, 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 not even a B team for us. It was a C team. I mean, when on earth do you ever get Billy Comedio playing a game at centre half for us? It was a COVID ravaged Liverpool team. It was a Liverpool team that was absolutely on the floor. And the moment at the end where we thought it was slipping away from us, we'd really rallied well to get back in. But Milner just sort of floats a nameless ball into the box. It's like 95th minute and 20 seconds. And Minamino, who hadn't, hadn't kicked the ball right all night, takes this unbelievable touch and fires a volley into the bottom quarter to make it 3-3 and we go on to win in penalties. And for that moment, when I would say the vast majority of the ground wasn't that arsed about the game going into that tonight, you know, you, you, certainly when they were in the Christmas, we went out of the League Cup at the quarterfinal stage. 
but I have not seen a ground go off like it. It was unbelievable. And then just like screaming the fuck the Tories chant at them afterwards as they all strolled back to Leicestershire where the streets, I'm sure, are paved with gold. It was just amazing for me. I loved it. <laughs> And John had given a big to the end as well when he scored his pal. Yeah, and did, did you see did you see his interview with the Andrew Rapp a few months later? That, that nobody really got onto this, but he he said uh, John asked him about it basically, and he said, "Yeah, I was sitting on the bench and I heard what they were singing, and I wanted to come on and really stick it to them." And I you just think that's exactly what you want from somebody buying into the the values and the the, 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 him, way, we, the way we think. Make our boy captain. Make him captain. <laughs> exactly. Oscar, anybody with Jordan Henderson isn't that right? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jay, uh, finish us off here. Moment or game of the season, either or. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick both. I mean, I liked Andy's choice. That was quite a cool one. That was a really good game to be at, considering the expectations were probably pretty low going into it. But what you come out today was euphoria, and obviously for for Johnny's that was just. Revenge for all the years of hate. Um, moments of the season. Um, I'm probably going to go for, well, two things. It, it was Van Dyke's penalty in the Carabao Cup final where he didn't give a shit and just whacked it past Kepa in that three and a half yards of space that he actually didn't think he'd hit it in, but he did. And, and then the look. And then the look to say, like, yeah, you little boy, get back in your space. Um, and also, I think maybe moments again slash game. It wasn't a great game, but the derby at Anfield, where at that time we were convinced we've put everything down, and they come thinking, "Ah, we're going to ruin your quadruple." Like, if it's one thing we can do this season, I know they ended they ended up staying up, and I know I've I've gone on about it all year. But when you live day in day out with blue noses, and you know you've got to put up with all the shit that they come out with every day. When we went into work that they the, after that game and we're like we are sending you down, and I've never felt more like lousing and going down, going down since 1995. The whole repertoire, Frank Satori, the lot. It was just a great game, even though the, the stuff on the pitch weren't the best. It was just the whole buzz around the ground that day was just like we are the superior team in this city, and if you go, it wouldn't be wouldn't be missed because you just absolutely deserve it. Hopefully next season. Yeah, Dave, can I just can, can I just say one thing? Because I know I started off the game thing, but I just want to put it out there that my moment of the season was definitely Simicass's penalty because it won us the biggest cup we won that penalty and just him being in there, you know, good ladder round squad and him getting his big moment at Wembley straight to their penalty. end as well. Ah, yeah, yeah, like the mad Greek scouser that he is. Um, yeah, that was my moment of the season. Looking back, I mean, if we'd have won the European Cup, there obviously would have been something bigger. But uh, yeah, probably. I think I think his head would have fell off if he had won the cup. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be running around Paris, smashing plates over by it. Please, hundred percent, he would, and they deserve it as well. The best. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, lads, thank you. It's been a great season. There's been loads and loads of like. Just really fucking cracking times, as we've talked about. Yeah, the Derby was my one game this season, Jay. And it was really funny. Nothing more funnier than the blow-up Tyrannosaurus Rex being kind of <laughs> bobbed across the fucking um, stand uh, before the game, which really made me laugh. But 
you know, I think Johnny's kind of right. Nothing's really better than the 24th of October, 2021, Manchester United nil, Liverpool five. And if Pogba has like just got on like a fucking belly end, and fair play to him, it probably would have been seven or eight. You know what, Dave, I was going to say one other thing as well, because they've been very vocal in the last few days. They sort of crawled out from under rocks, haven't they? Man United and Everton fans. And I mean, a season, imagine, we've we obviously done both of them home and away. The four games against them, we won 15, we won 15-1 in aggregate against them two teams this season. 15-1 in four games. I think that tells you a lot too, doesn't it? I think yeah. the most I think the most beautiful thing about it was all we had to listen to from Manchester United fans growing up was all you talk about is history. History FC, History Channel. All we've heard for the last week is about their treble in nineteen ninety nine. I mean, if that if that literal irony of them being the ones who wank on about their history all the time now doesn't show you just how simply how massive the power shift has been, nothing ever will. Yeah, my my old football coach, every fucking week, this bastard used to do this to me. Here, Davey, I've seen uh, I've seen Liverpool lift a league title, you know. I was like, oh, that's, that's great, Ronnie. Very good. He goes, hi. I've the beat of Max in the house. <laughs> every, every fucking week. And he's a Spurs fan. How does he get away with it? Do you know? <laughs> so, yeah, lads, listen. Thank you for joining us. We've gone like way, way over. So I assume you'll get bored 10 or 15 minutes in, but try not to. Point is me saying this now, if you're getting bored 15 or 20 minutes in or whatever. But lads, listen, it's been a great season. Um, we'll we'll pop up with some transfer transfer chat and hopefully potential signings. And uh, yeah, up the greatest season Liverpool have ever had, Reds. Right?